I'm going to pray for you to have good ears. Ever heard of this verse? He that has ears, let him hear. Isn't that a good verse? If you got ears, use them. In other words. So, Father, I pray that you'd give us good ears tonight, ears to hear what you want us to say. We thank you that you brought us together to be more transformed than informed. We pray that you would change something inside of us tonight. Change the way we live. Change the way we operate. In Jesus' name, amen. Can anybody think of something that's been hard on you in the last week? Raise your hand if you can think of something that's been hard. I'm not asking you to share. How about in the last two days? How about today? Yeah, doesn't have to do with plumbing. I've got something that's horrendous. It's terrible. Difficulties can uh, take you in two possible directions. It's easy to get discouraged. It's not hard to get discouraged, right? Difficulties can take you down real fast. Situ- relationships. If you hurt your hand, physical things can take you down. Some of you have physical things. You need, you need healing prayer. Some of you have emotional things, things that have hung on for a long time and they can get weigh us down on the inside it's like we've got weights on a lot of us have them they can discourage us they can take us in a different direction do you know that difficulties can cause you to get a kind of a holy desperation and I want to show you some scriptures where people went just in that direction I'm going to show you quite a few of them in fact I got a whole list of them here. I'm going to show you desperation. And here's why. Because I'm convinced that revival is coming. Nate is convinced that revival is coming. It's actually here. It's already in, in the ground, and it's going to spring up. I'm convinced it's happening in Norway. I was just over in Norway. I'm convinced that this is the big one, the Malachi 4 one, powerful one, that the earth is going to, experience and so what's our response to that I'm going to tell you how to respond the way to respond and they'll say oh cool bring it on that doesn't that doesn't respond any that doesn't take anything from us I'm going to give you three ways real quickly how to respond the first way is is to believe you start praying you pray and see if God speaks to you and if God speaks to you that's pretty exciting a revival is coming so, so I believe for it. Two things that Jesus marvels at. You've heard me say this before. He marvels at what? Great faith and the lack of, yeah, little faith or the lack of it. He marveled at those two things. Oh, the centurion, he believed. Great is your faith. And it says he marveled at his faith. Also, he marveled at those who saw his miracles and didn't believe. He marveled at their unbelief. The people in Nazareth, he marveled. I don't want him to marvel at my unbelief. I'd rather have him marvel that I'm believing for something wonderful that we see now by faith that we're going to experience it. So I want to believe. 
Second, I want to repent. What was, what was John the Baptist's message? The, me the message that he gave when he stepped on the scene. What did he, what, what did he give? Repent for the... His hand. It's, com it's coming close. So if revival's coming, if the king's coming close, then how do we respond? We repent. We change things in our lives so that we're ready to see him. If we don't repent, we may miss him. The religious leaders did not repent. Did they get him? Did they receive him? They weren't ready for him. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that kills the prophets and stones those who come to him. How often would I gather you under my wings? But you, you would not. Your house is being left to you desolate. They missed him. Here was the Son of God in their midst, and they missed him. So I don't want to miss him when he comes. When he comes in revival, I want to be ready to receive him, so I repent. Third thing I do, what's the third thing? I pray. I pray, do it, God. Do it, God. Do it, God. And so we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to do it. We're going to pray. And I mean pray. I mean just cry out. I, I had a wonderful time in Norway. God saved the best for last. Uh, I ended up at Jesus Church in Oslo, and it's a wonderful church. It's a big uh, cathedral in the middle of Oslo, and they closed it down because they only had five people coming to it in the Lutheran church. It was a, it's a Lutheran church, and they had five people, so they closed it down. The Jesus people were looking for a place, and uh, their, their uh, Stefan and uh, Ann Christensen came to the leaders of the Lutheran church and said, you have a church and no people. We have people and no church. Could we make a deal? And they said yes. So they're meeting in this big, beautiful cathedral. It's fun to be there. And I preached, and then I, I gave them a blessing. I, I prayed over them for a spirit of prayer. And then I said, now we're going to start praying for revival. It was like I threw a torch in, in, in out there on dry wood. They just began to pray. It was a spontaneous altar call. <laughs> they just came because they were so eager for God to touch Norway, are many of them discouraged? Oh, my, there's discouragement in Norway. At the host where we were staying, I said, how many will be in this church tomorrow? It's a big church, real big, beautiful church. They're lit up at night. In fact, the law commands them to light their churches up at night. So you're driving at 1030 at night, you see these beautiful white buildings, churches with big steeples lit up. How many will be there? Fifteen. This huge cathedral, there were five it down. They're closing down other churches. What does that breed? Discouragement. The people of faith are discouraged because they haven't seen anything for so long. And I was telling them, revival is coming. God's going to wake this people up. And he did something that was really funny. We went to one of those churches late at night with the, with the Lutheran Renewal team of Norway. There were about ten of us. We had a guy that played the organ. He was playing the organ, and we were singing. We were crying out to God from the balcony. Wake him up, God. Wake him up. Work. Bring him back. Bring him back. And the host in the church where, uh, at, at the place where I was staying drove over, ran up to the balcony, and said, The bells are on. The bells are on. It's 1030 at night. We couldn't hear 
I had leaned against the side of the organ and there was a panel there that turned the bells, the bells that announced church on Sunday morning. <laughs> it was going on at 1030 at night. It was on for 10 minutes. We couldn't hear it because we were crying out to God and we were singing and he was kind of laughing and urgent at the same time. The bells are going off all over the countryside. And, and of course, then we stopped. We laughed and laughed. And then we thought, God gave us a message. That was clearly God. Maybe I didn't set him off. Maybe God set him off. He was saying, I can wake him up. I can wake anybody up. I can wake these people up. In a moment, in a moment, he, he took care of a whole city of brutal, brutal people that did atrocious things to their enemies, the Assyrians. And God took a whole nation, uh, a, a whole city, either there are 120,000, some scholars think 120,000, some think 600,000. And in a moment, he had them all confessing on their knees with ashes. How'd they do that? Spirit of conviction just came over them. God could do that in a moment in the Twin Cities. Put everybody on their faces. God's powerful. God can do that. So what's our part? Pray for that to happen. I'm praying for my neighborhood. I'm praying that they'll come out of their, out of their doors and they'll walk over here on Sunday mornings and come. I'm, I, I see it by faith. So that holy desperation will keep you from discouragement. I'm going to show some verses to you. Look at Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at them kind of quickly. Luke chapter 18. There are two parables where Jesus tells the reason for the parable before he gives it. These are the only two places. The first one is here in Luke 18.1 and then the one right after that. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always, what? Pray and not, okay? Anybody feel like losing heart? Raise your hand if you felt in the last week like, like you're losing heart. Okay. It's not hard. I was at a, a pastor's conference. I was speaking at a pastor's conference in Finland, 90 pastors. Before I started, I felt led to just to say something. How many of you have felt like giving up in the last in the last two weeks, how many of you have felt like throwing the towels? These are pastors. I said, stand up if you have. Nine of them went right to their feet. Some of them started crying as they stood up. It's easy to want to give up. Life is hard. Life is harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be easier. It's hard. And so Jesus is saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray instead of giving up. And so how do you pray? Well, let's look at it. Here's a widow, and there's a judge that <laughs> he's not a very good person. For some time, he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wearing, wear me out with her coming. Now listen to the next sentence. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust said what did he say he said she's going to bother me and and wear me out what is he saying that's how we do it to god that's how it comes god you said something you said it god you said you'd bring revival in our day do it god do it please do it for us we're coming to you so we come with a holy boldness with kind of an assistance 
And he loved that kind of prayer. So look to the later in the chapter. You read about a guy named Bartimaeus. Bar means son. Timaeus. Timothy. I don't know. So he's the son of Timaeus. And he hears about something going on. The rustling in the crowd. And he asks what it is. And Jesus is coming through. Jesus is coming through Jericho. He's on the way to Jerusalem. This is the last time he'll go through this place. It's Luke 18. And chapter 19 is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So he's not going to go by this way again. And so he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What happens? Do you want me, do you want me to do it loud? I could. Okay. Okay. Crowds, it's never about the crowd, is it? It's not about the crowd. It's about the person who sticks out of the crowd. See, he's desperate. He really wants to see. And he's maybe feeling stupid because it says here that the, the, the leaders of the pack, they, they basically said, shut up. In Japan and uh, Japanese, you got this saying, the nail that sticks up is pounded down. That's what crowds do. Crowds want to be democratic. Crowds want to level you off. They want to keep you from sticking out. But here's this guy that really wants to see it. Oh, man. That was stupid of me. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Oh, now I feel so dumb. But I really want to see. And his desperation overcomes his embarrassment. Desperation fuels persistence. How desperate are you to get whole? How desperate are you for healing? How desperate are you to see God work in the cities? How desperate are you for your friend to come to Christ? And so what does he do? Jesus! Son of David! He's, he's really yelled now. And Jesus says, bring him to me. Now think about it. I hope it was the guys that told him to shut up that had to go get him and bring him to Jesus. <laughs> hey, he wants you. So it comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that a great question? What do you want me to do for you? And he says, Lord, that I may see. Love the question. Love the guy's persistence. Love the guy's willingness. to. Do you think there were any in the crowd who were paralytic or who, who were blind? He said, come. I should have cried. I should have yelled. There are probably people there because that was the last time he never came that way again. So fast forward one paragraph and you've got chapter 19, Luke 19. And you've got a guy who's desperate. What's his name? He he's shut out from the life of the synagogue. He's shut out from the life of the community. He's an outcast. You, you get that in verse 7 later in the, in the story where they're, they're saying he's gone to be with a man who's a sinner. They hated him. They didn't like him. He was, the, he was a thief, according to them. He wasn't really. He, was very, he had a generous heart, but he just didn't know how to do it. 
And so what's this about a rich man climbing a tree? Wh why didn't he rent a limo? You know, he, he had money. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. He, he could have had a different way of seeing Jesus. But he, he went ahead, climbed up a tree. There's one guy that day that got Jesus' attention. Jesus, it says, it, he was passing through. It doesn't sound like he is stopping. What could stop Jesus? I'll tell you, a short man who was desperate to see. Desperate people get the attention of Jesus. I don't want to say about this revival, cool. Here's how I pray. God, please come. Please come to the Twin Cities. Please, God, please, please, please. If you'd heard us in Norway, it would have been more like, I won't say it. That crowd was crying out, and heaven was listening. So back off. Look back at Luke 11, and you've got a guy who's desperate. He's coming to his friend at midnight, and what does he need? You've heard the story before. What does he need? Bread. And he's desperate because Middle Eastern hospitality demanded that he have something to give him, even though it's midnight. I lived in the Middle East. I know that's a fact. I know that because you have to be careful what you admire because you'll take it home with you. They're, they're so giving that you have to be very cautious. And he's desperate. What does desperation do? It fuels a persistence, an in-your-face kind of boldness. The guy gives, here's his answer. Lend me three loaves. A friend of mine has come on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Then from the inside, answers, don't bother me. Did that sound like a yes to you? The door is already locked. Are we getting any better now? Uh, has he said anything that, that would encourage you that you're going to get your bread? My children are with me in bed. I told Karen, hey, you had all the kids. I'll get up at night. Didn't I, honey? I, I put lots of kids to sleep late at night. You're you were one of them when they woke when they wake up in the middle of the night. And I had to put them down. I bet you did too, Steve. And it's no fun to put them down. He, yeah, it's no fun to put them down, and then you know you try to sneak out and and you know you're oh really careful here. I don't want to see. And you you, you bump a door or you, or you squeak the and they go. And you, you have to go through the whole routine again. It is not, it's not fun, is it, Steve? You know, what is he saying, my children are with me in bed? What's he saying? Yeah, if, I, if he gets up, they're getting up because they're with him. They're in the same bed as he is. So he doesn't like this guy who's coming at him. Does the guy go away? No. Why not? Because he's desperate. He is desperate. He is going to get bread, and he's not leaving. That's what God wants us to do. I'm not leaving. I'm not going. Remember what Moses said? If you don't go, I'm not going. Is that being too foreign with God? He wants us to come boldly. And this verse, it's a brash boldness. It's a shameless boldness. It's not a popular word. It's only used here in the New Testament. Only place it's used. It's used one place in the Old Testament of a prostitute who finds a naive young man on the streets and brings him in. 
in his face. It's not a popular word. I mean, it's not a polite word. The word importunity, and here it's, it's shame. It literally means shameless boldness. Would you say insolent or importune or impertinent? But what do those words mean? It's just getting so, so bold and brazen that you will not give up. And does it work for him? He goes and looks at the press. They said he didn't give it to him because he was his friend. Get out of here. Take your bread. And Jesus taught this. He said, that's why he's come to me. And then he gives us, he throws in a Bible verse. And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, you shall find. Knock. In other words, keep going after it. Ask, seek, knock. Expecting it. Yes, sir. Ask and keep on asking. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. So, Jesus is telling this story, urging us. Then, flip back a little little more, chapter 8. We find a woman who has had an, uh, a problem with bleeding for 12 years. And she has not gotten any better. She spent all she had, Mark says. And she's only gotten worse. Is she desperate? Man, she's desperate. Nothing worked for her. Doesn't have any money left. And so she thinks she's going to try to get close to Jesus. But what does it say about the crowd? It says that now when Jesus returned, uh, as Jesus was on his way, verse 42, the crowds almost crushed him. So you picture a crowd where people want to get close to Jesus. These, they're, they're men and women who are pressing in on him, so they're touching him on all sides, and he's about being crushed. How could a woman get through that and get to Jesus? She's desperate enough. I've got to touch him. Got to close. But the Levitical law says that she can't touch anybody. She's unclean. But she's desperate. So she says, she touches him, and she's made whole. Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? What do the disciples say? They're impolite with Jesus. They say, come on. What do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. He said, no, somebody touched me. And she was afraid because she probably figured she was going to get it for touching him and and she acknowledges what happened I touched you and listen to what Jesus she was absolutely desperate absolutely and what did Jesus call her the only place here he calls someone by this word what he says daughter she's probably older than he is what a beautiful thing. Daughter, your faith has saved you. And then he says, same thing he said to the adulterous woman, go in peace. Pardon? Yeah. 
salvation, healing, sozo. Yeah. One more here, and then, and then two more actually, two more. Then looked at chapter 5 of Luke. Here's a leper. What do you know about lepers? And uh, they're uh, needing to s keep their distance. They have to stay on the fringes. They can't walk through the city and, and get close to people. They have to stay on the outside because they're unclean. And it's a communicable disease. This guy was desperate. He had to get close to Jesus, and so he came and knelt before him. Now, if he had come and knelt before the religious leaders, what do you think would have happened? They would have killed him. I think they would have killed him. He's breaking the law. And he would have just started stoning him. This guy came to Jesus, and he knelt before him. And then he said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful statement? If you will. And Jesus said, I will. I love that interchange. This, his faith touched Jesus, and Jesus reached out and touched him. It's a great story. He touched this man with this communicable disease, and he, he, he touched him with healing. He was desperate. One more, Matthew 15. The disciples are on a retreat. They're up in Tyre. And in Mark, it says they didn't want anyone to know about it. The disciples want their time alone with Jesus because they didn't get it very often. They wanted it when, the, when uh, they had to feed 5,000 instead. They were telling the crowd to go away because they wanted time with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. Well, we don't have anything. Send them away, Jesus so that they can go eat. Well, what they really meant, send them away so we can have some time together. And so they're having time with Jesus now, and a woman crashes through who is desperate. What's she desperate from? My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. We don't know why the daughter is suffering. Maybe it was the mother's fault. Maybe that's why she's so desperate. I don't know. doesn't say. So what's the first response she gets? Matthew 15, verse 23. What kind of response does he get from Jesus? No, first. The first response. Not yet. What was the first, first response? Does that sound like Jesus to you? Normally, Jesus is so responsive to anyone with a need, like he was with the leper, like he was with the women, with the woman, and he doesn't respond. And the disciples take their cue from this, and now they, they talk to Jesus and say, send her away, she's bugging us. Get her out of here. We don't want her here. Then Jesus speaks, but what he says is not going to help her. He says, you're the wrong race, lady. Sorry about that. I was sent to the lost tribe of the house of Israel. And then she comes and kneels before him and says, Lord, please have mercy. And then he says what sounds like an insult. 
you wonder a little bit what's going on in Jesus' heart. I think Jesus saw persistent faith. That's the only that's the only thing I can think of because otherwise it sounds like an insult. He says it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Gentiles to Jews were like dogs. Now, picture yourself there, ladies. I'm out of here. Pete, that what an insult. And you take offense. And that would have been understandable. And she says, okay. I'll just take the crumbs. Whatever spills off the table, I'll just take the crumbs. Incredible faith. Jesus was moved by that. She was so desperate that she would not give up. Do you, are you getting the message? You don't need another story, do you? We don't have a big crowd here. We could change the Twin Cities. In fact, I believe that we're going to. Persistence will bring down the work of Jesus Christ in the city. You're gonna, it's going to happen in my neighborhood. I believe it's going to happen in the Twin Cities. This place is going to light up with the glory of God. And how will it happen? By, by desperate people getting so urgent, getting so insistent, say, God, it's like Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 3.2, he says, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. In our day, renew it. Do it now, God. We've heard of it. We know. And then the Psalm 85, he says, revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. So I want us just to pray a little bit, different ones, or we can pray at the same time, however you want to. I want us to cry out to God and say, do it, God. Do it. Father, we just want you to know that we're not going to get tired of doing this. We want you to know that we are not going to stop praying unless un until we see it. We're going to hold you to your word. We're coming because you tell us to come boldly. We're not coming and whispering and say, if it be your will, we know it's your will. We know you want to do it. We know you want to save. It's in your heart more to save than to judge. But if they hadn't repented, you would have judged that city. And now we'll meet those people in heaven. Because Jonah preached judgment and you, you brought mercy. Mercy triumphed over judgment. That's what we say now. We're not crying out for you to judge America. We're not crying out for you to judge New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco. Or the Twin Cities. We're crying out to you to show mercy. Show mercy on people who don't even care about you. Who curse you. You send the sun on them by day, and yet they curse you. And we want you to have compassion on them, God. We want you to, you to save. We want you to save hundreds of thousands of people here in the Twin Cities. That's our heart, God, and so we cry to you. We don't want you to look down and just wait and wait and wait. We want you to do it soon. Please, God, please do it soon.
Report on your growth, dog. 